Please take your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. You remember Jonathan last week uh, spoke to us about the, the injustice that we see in the world around us and that it can, it can be hard to know why God would allow so much injustice. It's hard to, to, to understand why the, the wicked go on in seeming peace and security while the righteous suffer. And, that, and we see this theme continuing today in this text. And so, again, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and I'll be reading verse 1 to 10. But all of this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is all the same, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But who, but he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten, their love and their hate, their, their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, the wisdom of your word, the wisdom that we have in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we know that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, that all of Scripture is profitable for us, that, that by your Spirit, all of Scripture can be applied to the ins and outs of our life. And so we pray for grace today to understand 
and then grace to respond to your word appropriately, coming out, coming out of the true meaning of this text. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have known people who once professed faith in Christianity, once claimed to follow Jesus, and then they, they walk away from their faith. And often that happens for people who are raised in the church once they get out into the world. Maybe they were raised in a Christian home, they went to church, they learned about the Bible, but they go out into the world, and then they walk away from faith. And you say, well, why is it that so many walk away from the church or walk away from their profession of faith? And there are many reasons. We can't go through all of the reasons today. But I've noticed a pattern in my own life, what I've seen from my my friends, my family members, my acquaintances who have walked away from the faith, that a common theme is that, that people had certain ideas about God, they had certain ideas about the Christian life, but then they got out into the world and they see dissonance between what they know theologically, or at least what they thought they knew theologically in their head, and what they actually see in the world around them experientially. And of course, I I think we all know the word dissonance. Uh, We often use that in the the musical world. Uh, I even laugh that I could have Benjamin play a minor second for you, you know, and you, you would hear the dissonance of, of two notes played together at the same time. They, they don't sound good together. They don't match together. These don't fit together. And that's what people experience in the world, this dissonance between what they know or what they think they know and what they see in the world around them. And it comes often through suffering through pain, through the experience of real evil in the world, or even walking with a friend or a family member who is experiencing pain and suffering in this life. How could the Bible be true? But remarkably, our text today shows us that there is dissonance, that if we're actually reading the Bible, we should expect a certain type of dissonance between what we know theologically and what we see experientially in the world around us. We see this in our text. So you say, well, what do we know theologically about God? Look in your Bible at verse 1 again, verse 1 of our text. Solomon says that all of this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise, and their deeds are in the hand of God. That we we know this truth theologically, that we are in the hand of God, that our deeds are in the hands of God, that there is this providential care of God over his people. Deuteronomy 33 verse 3 says, Yes, he loved his people, all his holy ones were in his hand. We are in the hand of God. Or listen to what Jesus says in John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That if we are in Christ, we are in the hands of God. And Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. You are secure, safe in the hand of God. This is what the Bible teaches, that, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. It teaches that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, that you are in the hands of God, I am in the hands of God, our children are in the hands of God, our friends, our family, all of God's children are in the hand of God. This is what we know theologically. You say, well, where's the dissonance then? And so then we ask the other question, that's what we, we know theologically, but then what do we see experientially? Look at verse 1 again. He says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. You say, well, what does he mean by this, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. And what he's saying is that, yes, we know theologically that we are in the hands of God, that he loves us, that he promises to take care of us. But when we consider the question, does God love me or does God hate me? We can't answer that question from experience alone. Maybe that's a question that you have asked in your own life. Does God love me or does God hate me? And if all you're doing is looking at the events of your life, your own experience, it is tough to know. Sometimes it will feel like God loves you. Your life is going well. Everything is going in your favor. But that sometimes it will feel like God hates you. Why is everything going wrong? Why am I suffering? And I love the, the King James translation of our text. It says that no man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before him. We can't know by what is before us alone. Or Matthew Henry commenting on our text says that it is laid down for a rule that the love and hatred of God are not to be measured and judged of by man's outward condition. We don't simply look at our life. And the reason for that is because there is a dissonance between what we know theologically and what we see in our life experientially. That the college student who goes out and experiences evil or experiences suffering for the first time, the student's not discovering something new about the world. They're not the first one to notice that life is hard, that life is full of of suffering, that, that perhaps they had a naive view of God, maybe a naive view of the Christian life, thinking that being a Christian means that you'll never suffer or that life will never be hard. But the Bible itself teaches, our text teaches, that there is dissonance between what we know theologically and what we see experientially. And that's what we see in verse 2, continuing in our text. So look at verse 2 in your Bible. It is the same for all. 
since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. This is why we can't judge the love or hatred of God by experience alone. It's because there is dissonance between what we know and what we experience. That we know, we say, God, I know you love me. I know that you take care of me. I know that you protect me. I know that you will always be with me. But then you say that, that I see so much dissonance. My, my life is hard. My life is full of suffering. My life is full of pain. What is going on in my life? Why am I facing this? And you have a hard time understanding what God is doing in your life, what he's doing in the world. And unfortunately, our text doesn't answer the why question. It doesn't tell us why there is this dissonance, why God allows this dissonance to continue. You can turn to other sections of the Bible. A good example is what we talked about a few weeks ago, Job um, chapters 38 to 41, that Job was suffering. He experienced the dissonance between what he knew about God and what was happening in his life. And he said, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And then God shows up at the end of the book and he doesn't tell Job why. He doesn't get the explanation. And the idea is that God has a reason for all of his all of his works, that he knows what he's doing. He's really in control, but that our minds are so small, so limited that we cannot understand fully. It is beyond human comprehension. And so that's why God simply says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? And that's where the, the Bible leaves us so often of of having to trust that God knows what he's doing, that God ultimately is bringing good out of the suffering that we have in the world. And knowing that even though there is dissonance now between what we know about God and what we see in the world around us, that eventually that dissonance is going to be resolved into perfect harmony when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, that in the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal hope that we have in Christ the dissonance is going to be gone. But we're still left here facing this seeming contradiction. And so the Bible, we said, doesn't tell us why there's this dissonance between what we know theologically and what we see experientially. But it does tell us in this text how we can live despite the dissonance. So it doesn't tell us why we face this, but it tells us how we are called to live. And you probably notice that transition where he, it seems so dark in the beginning of the text, but then it changes gears and he says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And remember that in, in Jewish society, dogs were considered unclean, that they didn't value dogs as, as pets. Uh, but 
we read in scripture that the lion is described as this image of power and strength. And, but it's, it's saying that, that a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. And this is not a denial of the afterlife. It's, it's not a denial of hope that we have after death. But it's really an affirmation that there is hope for us today. That as long as we are alive in the world, we can have hope. The, the Reformation Heritage Study Bible says of this that it's a, a vivid way of saying that there is hope so long as there is life. And so you think about that today, that if you're here, if you're alive, if you are in this room today, you might have a life full of, of suffering, you might have a life full of, of pain, a life full of difficulty, but yet hope is not over, that there is hope, that the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that there is the hope of eternal life, and that by God's grace we can take hold of that hope today, knowing the love and the faithfulness of God, that we have this by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, hope for today. And so that's the, the first way that we are called to live, that we can pursue hope with urgency. And then second, despite this dissonance, we're called to pursue joy with contentment. So yes, we have hope while we're here. That's looking to the future. But as we look to the present, we also have joy with contentment. Look at verse 7 in your Bible. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you, given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Now, I don't think verse 9 makes its way into many Valentine's Day cards. Uh, to enjoy your life with the wife whom you love all the vain days of your life that you live and toil under the sun. But yet, what is Solomon saying here? That, that he's... he's coming back to this theme that has come up over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, that though this world is passing away, though it's fading, though we can't place ultimate hope in anything under the sun, we can enjoy the simple things of life. The simple pleasures of life are there. They're a gift of God. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there is dissonance between what we know theologically, what we see experientially, but yet we can pursue joy with contentment. And I'll list the passages of you ever to go back and read them. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24 to 26. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12 to 13. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15. And there are more of this theme of enjoying the simple things of life, what is before us, good food, good conversation, good drink, uh, relationships that God has given us as a, as a joy and a comfort in this life. But then look at the rationale for this in verse 7. Look at verse 7 in your Bible. God has already approved what you do. Now again, that's not saying that 
God already approves of everything, so go commit murder, go commit adultery. God approves of it already. Uh, God is a God of, of justice. But then you, you say, well, yes, he's, he's a God of, of justice, but, but how is it that we are to understand his justice uh, in the world? Uh, and this is where Eaton, in his commentary on this text, raises something very helpful, very interesting. He says that, that this is this Pauline touch is the nearest the preacher came to a doctrine of justification by faith. Man has but to receive contentment as God's gift. God will approve of him and his work. The believer is not struggling for acceptance. He is already accepted. And, and so, again, as Jonathan's doing his ordination services, this is probably not the text that he'll turn to for the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The idea that when we put our trust in Christ, we are declared righteous, accepted as righteous in God's sight, not through our own righteousness, but through the righteousness of Christ. Yet we know that that is the, the grounding that we have of our hope, the grounding that we have of our joy, the grounding that we have of our comfort in Christ, that we know with, with, with confidence our standing before God, that we're not living in the world afraid that somehow we're going to get on the bad side of God, that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. If we are in Christ, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If we are in Christ, we have hope for today that our, our destiny is secure, that God has already approved of what you do because you're clothed in Christ. And therefore, you can enjoy life. You can enjoy the, the gifts and the pleasures that God has put before you in this world. And so again, we said that we can pursue hope with urgency. We can pursue joy with contentment. But then third and finally, despite the dissonance that we experience, we're called to pursue life with vigor. Life with vigor. Look at verse 10 in your Bible. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And again, that seems very dark at the end, where almost as if he's denying an afterlife, which I don't think that's what he is doing but yet he's saying that, that we're going in life right now, and from our perspective here under the sun, from the human perspective, without reference to God, that there is an end to our life, where the activity of this life will cease. And so he says that our call, despite the dissonance, despite the hardship, is to, to persevere, to pursue life with joy, to pursue life with all we have, all we can pour into the calling that is laid before us. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And I think that this is very practical and relevant, that Right now, your life might be hard. It might be difficult. It may be hard to understand why these things are happening to you, but yet you can pursue God with vigor and passion. You can pursue 
relationships in your life with vigor and passion. You can pursue your earthly calling with vigor and passion. That this is what is before you. This is your calling. But as we wrap up today then, I want to just take everything that we've been talking about and go full circle back to the, the beginning of our text. Because remember we said that God, our, our, our days are in the hands of God, that, that God is, is faithful to us. But we said that when we consider only our outward experience, it's hard to know, does God love us or not? Because sometimes life is good, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes people are succeeding when they're walking away from God. Sometimes people are suffering when they're walking with God. And yes, we can pursue hope and we can pursue joy. We can pursue life. We can pursue life with vigor. But, but how in the end do we know if God loves us? We, we, we join even some of the, the prophets in, in seeing how confusing life is. Uh, for instance, um, Jerem, listen to this is Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah Chapter 21, verse, or sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my cause before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? So he's a prophet who's suffering. He's saying, God, I don't understand. I know theologically you're righteous, but I don't know how to explain this. Or Habakkuk says to the Lord in prayer, he says, You who are of pure eyes, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked or swallows up the uh, sorry when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And so even there you hear the prophets crying out to God. Yes, they're trying to live, but they're they're confused by what they see in the world, by the the dissonance between what they know and what they experience. And I think that for all of us, yes. We, we try to live faithfully despite this, but the, the answer is not stated in this text, but we, it all comes together as it always does in the person and the work of Christ. That, that the dissonance is resolved in Christ. The tension that we see is resolved in Christ. Because even in the life and ministry of Jesus, we saw that we see the tension that he comes into the world taking on himself a human nature, and he goes through a perfect life to the cross. But think of the dissonance that Jesus must have experienced on the cross. He's looking at his outward experience, his outward life. He's saying, does God love me? What do I see? Can, can I know the love of God from my outward experience alone? He says, here are people surrounding me, telling lies about me, nailing me to a a cross. This is not a sign of the love of God. But as we said, the love of God is not to be measured by our, our outward experience alone. Because Jesus dies, and then he rises again in glory. The dissonance is resolved into this glorious harmony. And it's in Christ that we can have confidence in the midst of the dissonance, knowing that it will be resolved because of Jesus and what he did for us in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, that if, if we are in Christ, he's going to carry us through the confusion, through the pain of this life into the joy and the hope of the life to come. And so it's keeping our lives rooted and grounded in him as our ultimate foundation. Let's pray. Father, 
we pray in the name of Christ. We pray that, that you would give us courage in the midst of our life. We recognize the dissonance. We know that, that you love us, that you take care of us, that you promise to always be faithful, to always be true, to always be good. But yet, when we look at our lives, it's hard to know what you're doing. When we just read the book of our life, we see so many examples of your faithfulness and we say, that's a sign that you love us. But then we also experience sickness and, and pain and hardship in various ways throughout our life. And we're tempted to call into question your goodness and your faithfulness to us. But Lord, despite that, we pray that you would give us the, the strength to have hope today, to take hold of the hope that is on offer in the gospel, to trust in Christ for salvation, that there is hope as long as we are united to the living. Uh, but then, Lord, we also pray that we can find joy, that we can enjoy the, the simple gifts that you have given, to not trust them as our ultimate confidence, uh, but ultimately to, to strive in life, to, to do all that we, that we can do heartily as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that our confidence and our hope is in you alone, that we be freed through our identity in Christ, to live and to serve for your glory. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.